Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talk to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise today by visiting VetCheckForPets.com, which again is VetCheckForPets.com. As you all know, if you've listened to the podcast at this point, um, excited to bring Ryan Koopmans back on. And if you didn't catch Ryan's episode, you should definitely hit pause and go check that one out. But wanted to get Ryan back on for this conversation. And we felt like it would be a good one to kind of kick the year off where you see a lot of kind of New Year's resolutions or people that are starting to reach out. We've seen that on the Vincier side with just people scheduling intro calls or having questions and reaching out practically like, hey, I need to get my, you know, I got to get my crap together. And I have questions and I feel like I'm behind and all this stuff usually happens at the beginning of the year. And so what we felt like would be a really good episode to do is what are the kind of questions I should ask when I'm interviewing an advisor? So first and foremost, this is what we do from a day-to-day job. So we're going to certainly have questions that probably paint ourselves in a good light, but that's okay because they're just good questions in general. And so what we, and what I've noticed a lot is people will tell you, well, I don't know anything. I'm financial illiterate or I'm this or that. That's fine. You can still ask good questions because you all are super intelligent. So just ask questions, get to know someone. And so what we want to do is try to equip you with some good questions to ask so you can make apples to apples comparisons and really start to understand what you're looking for. But at the end of the day, you got to find someone that you fit with, right? Someone that you can have good conversations. I think that's the most important thing. So what we're going to do is kind of run through different questions that Ryan and I both like and use and go from there. But Ryan, thanks for coming back on. And it's good to have you help out on this one. Yeah, this is fun. I think for me, this is going to be a little bit more exciting than the last time. Last time was just me talking about myself, and that's not always the most entertaining subject. So this should be a little bit better than the last time. Looking forward to the back and forth here for sure. I think, uh, you know, we might stump each other a little bit here, have some different answers, but that's good. That's the way it should be. Yep. I'll kick things off with a question that I really like that people don't always ask, but I think you should, is just what is your service model? In the same way, like in veterinary medicine, there's going to be certain different types of clinics, right? Like what it is that you do and what you don't do and really trying to understand. So what do I get when I work with you? So walk me through the process, 
do you talk about student loans? Do you not talk about student loans? I had a client one time that was like, oh, my old advisor doesn't get paid on student loans. So they told me like, that's on you. I don't talk about that. It's like, well, that's not helpful if you have questions around that, right? So walk me through what you do. And so I think that's a fair question. And if someone can't articulate that and walk you through the process, that's probably an issue. And it should be something that's fairly seamless. And they walk through and you can ask questions and follow up and it just opens up a really good dialogue. And so typically in an intro call or something like that, that's where I would ask that question after they kind of get to know you, chat back and forth. And then as they say, hey, are there any questions? That's a great one to kick it off with, to just kind of get them talking about what it is they do. And you can kind of unpack and and ask different questions if something sounds really interesting or something that you're like, oh, I don't need that. That's what I would do. But thoughts on that one, Ryan? The same context there is how often do we meet? How often do we get a chat? Like, yeah, that's good. I mean, when you think about maybe someone you've chat with once a year, like, do you think about your financial life once a year? No, like you, you need to be more relationship than once a year. And hey, how's it going? How was your summer? And then 10 minutes of talking about what's really going on in life. So yeah, yeah, good question. What's one that you got? Yeah, so one of the big ones I think about here, especially for me, what is your education? What are your certifications? In veterinary medicine, it's all pretty clearly defined, right? If you're a veterinarian, you're a veterinarian. You have a DVM or VMD, depending on where you went to school. You might be a specialist, right? You might be an orthopedic surgeon. You might be an ophthalmologist. You might be an internal medicine specialist. Those are pretty clearly defined most way people know who that person is, what their skills are. Everyone's got a really good idea of what that person is and what they can do. When it comes to financial planning space, financial advisor, insurance, you name the term, there's not a good clearly defined definition out of there. So trying to get an idea of, hey, is this person a certified financial planner? Is this a person, a CPA that's now calling himself a financial planner as well? Do you have any number of other acronyms behind your name like some other people do. And what does that certification mean? Did you go to a class that was two hours online or did it take you six months in an exam to get through this type of thing? I mean, those are the things you really have to get down into the weeds in a little bit. It might be very obvious. It might be something and they should be very comfortable answering that question too. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah. And I think a lot of times like in email signatures, or if you look someone up before you have a call, if you have something booked, like you can kind of see typically in a bio or something, you know, hey, certified financial planner, like certified retirement specialist, or there's yeah, a litany of different things. CFA, which would be more from an investment standpoint. So maybe that more of a like an investment background. But the thing that we kind of joked about when we were brainstorming and thinking through different questions was also the fact that so I got my CFP when I was 28. And we have someone on our team that is fantastic and so good at what he does. He's done it for over 10 years and is in the process of getting his CFP. And he is a wizard when it comes to stock comp, equity comp for like folks in the tech space. And so, yeah, not working with a lot of veterinarians, but he is really, really, really good. Travis is a better advisor and can help clients more without his CFP than I could at 28 when I had my CFP. So just because the certification is there, to me, does not automatically mean like, oh, this person's better than the person that doesn't have it. Now, from a Vincere perspective, I have my CFP. Ryan, you're working to get your CFP. You're going to sit for the exam this year, which is funny to say, because I know we were always like, oh, you know, next year. Now it's like, oh, it's this year. And everyone that is client facing on our team is either a CFP or is sitting and studying for that, because we look at it as that is just should be table stakes for anyone giving financial advice. But again, you have to have experience and knowledge and 
acumen. So I think it's judging people on merit, which is part of the interview process as well. Great to have the CFP means they have three years of experience or two years if they worked under a CFP and they went through kind of the exam of like what the basics are for financial planning. That's great. That's a good baseline. And then from there, like, what do they know? So yeah, one of the questions that should be asked, not too many deal breakers in here, but this is one of the 10 that should be absolutely asked. Yep. And I think going along with that, you can have someone that's really good and maybe isn't a CFP. And the next question fits in, which is like, what's your experience working within veterinary medicine? Again, I'll use Travis, for example. He is awesome at what he does. Doesn't know a lick about anything vet med. Still would do a good job, I think. I think he would learn really quick. That's just in his nature. But if you have questions and if you are DVM and it's like, hey, these are common issues and challenges and you have someone that knows those are common issues or challenges or things that you might run into and is preemptively preparing you for that, like having someone that says, oh yeah, I've worked with X amount of veterinarians. These are kind of the things we work on. This is what we talk through. Having them explain how they've helped others like you in situations is great. So I think asking that kind of the experience question is super. Obviously, Ryan, for you, that is kind of cool because you have both of being like, hey, I've been in your shoes and I also have some experience on the planning side as well. So just a good question. Yeah. I was chatting with somebody today that literally after we got done talking, She's like, you know what? I can really tell that you've been through my shoes. Like, yeah, for better or worse, <laughs> I have. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Hopefully, sometimes I can keep you from making some of the mistakes my wife and I maybe did. But yeah, good question there. Next one here is how are you compensated? Everybody always has trouble talking about money, right? It is how are you paid? Same thing at the vet clinic, right? At least at my clinic here, it's in my opinion, we should always be presenting estimates before we do any sort of veterinary care. Nobody likes surprises. You're trying to set expectations, those types of things. It should be the same thing with your financial planner. There should not be a guess as to what you are paying and what you are getting. And there are several different ways to do that. You might be paid based off of financial planning. You might be paid based off of investments. You might be paid on a monthly fee. You might be paid off of a yearly fee. You just need to know what the answer to that is and what you're getting. Yeah. I wanted to ask, just kind of going back to the veterinary clinic example, have you ever had someone come in and ask you if you're paid on production or if your salary? Oh, awesome question. No. I was going to say, I think the common layperson probably doesn't understand no, that I, yet. I, I talked to, you know, to friends and stuff about it and people are always like, are you kidding me? How does that work? But yeah. It's a nice parallel there. But yeah, from the compensation piece, there's, again, a lot of different ways. And if someone is, so again, we are a fee-only firm. And I think that's a really good way in 2022 to run a business where it is the only compensation comes from how someone pays you. But that does not mean that someone that's not fee-only is a bad advisor the same way as CFP makes someone a really good planner or not, right? You just need to understand it. So there are firms out there that will be commission-based from insurance and they will offset planning fees or different things. Like there are different models. We chose our model because we like the way that it structures and the way that it aligns us. Yeah. But there are still other really good options for folks that are out there. You have to find the fit. And I think, Ryan, to your point, it's just how are you compensated? Like at the end of the day, that's the key thing that you want to understand. This is a question that we both laughed at when we kind of ask it, but it's really hard because I don't think there's a perfect answer, but you kind of want to just see the advisor maybe get a question that they know that there's not a perfect answer and just see how they react on their feet. So I think it's good, which is how do I know you're good at your job? Ask that in the next time you talk to an advisor. And if you ever talk to either of us and you ask it, I'm going to smile and be like, that's a darn good question. And it's not (laughs) going to be a perfect answer. 
similar to like when people will ask, well, in a first call, like, oh, is this the right decision? It's like, well, it depends. And it pisses people off. And I know it does. But it's like, well, tell me all these other variables. And then I can tell you. And it's like, that's literally what planning is, is taking all these different things into consideration. So you don't make one decision in a vacuum. So again, hey, I have questions on student loans. What should I do? Well, I have a strong opinion and I might think Isaiah would do it this way, but I don't know you yet and I don't know these other things. So the how do I know you're good at your job? To me, at the end of the day, if you're going to pay someone, you want to see results. You want to make sure that you know that you're making progress. So to me, that's a good way for an advisor to answer would be kind of trying to explain how they're going to help accomplish maybe the issues or challenges that you have. So if you told them, hey, I feel really nervous about this startup that I'm doing because of financing and I just don't know if I have enough cash and like they can help you understand, okay, if all these things happen, you'll be in good shape and like put your mind at ease. To me, that's a good job. Like they help solve the issue that you had. So maybe that's a terrible example. But anyways, that's, I guess, one way to think about it. How would you answer that if someone posed it and said, hey, Ryan, tell me, how are you a good veterinarian? So if I came in and I bring in Rover, I say, hey, Ryan, are you a good veterinarian? How do you answer that? You know, I was trying to think, I was going to pose the question to the audience there too. Like, has anybody ever asked our audience that? And I don't think I've ever been asked it as a veterinarian. I'm sure people think about it, right? When they get home and probably before they get into the clinic, which they should, but why not physically ask the question? And as a veterinarian, I would probably be a little bit flabbergasted in the beginning there. And then I'd probably relax a little bit and tell them why I think that's truly the case. Experience is certainly one of those. I think it absolutely helps. The next question, which we're getting to here is, will you shoot straight with me? I feel like I do a pretty darn good job at doing that. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you. And it's going to be a dialogue back and forth about where do we need to get to, whether it's Rover, whether it's your financial life, whatever it may be, and what are you seeing that's going on here? And let's get to the point where we have mutual understanding and then we've set expectations for each other going forward. And I think we'll probably come out everyone's expectations being met. And hopefully that means that I was good at my job. Yeah. And you kind of jumped into the next question, which I think is a good one on the, will you shoot straight with me, which is a fantastic question. And I think it goes back to a little bit on the compensation piece, because if you show me your incentive, a lot of times you'll see actions that focus around that. So I think one way to understand, like, will someone be honest and open and transparent is if you understand how they're compensated and it's disclosed and it's understood up front, and there's not an incentive for you to have XYZ extra stuff or sell you more things, aka uh, cough, cough insurance all the time, like that to me helps align to where you do get the person that's going to shoot straight and say, hey, you're paying me for financial advice. That's what you get. So yeah, like that, that makes sense. But did you have anything else there you want to add? Yeah, the shoot straight with me on the veterinary side of things. If we're, for example, recommending a leukemia vaccine to a cat that's indoor and there's no other cats in the house and there's no other dogs and why are we doing that type thing? So that's a similar question on the financial side of things. Like you just want to see that financial planner, advisor, whatever they may be calling themselves. Are they honest? Does it appear like they have some sort of integrity behind them or do they sound really salesy? Everybody knows when they hear it. You can hear it from a mile away. It always gives you kind of that bad feeling in your mouth. Are they salesy? Are you shooting straight with me? I, I think everyone at this point in their lives probably knows the answer to that question for most people, right? In the first five minutes from our impressions, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've talked about like in veterinary medicine, different conversations that sales is not a bad thing. If sales is geared towards like, this is how I solve your problem and I'm going to explain it to you really well. And I think the same thing for an advisor, if they can just explain it really well. And I had someone on an intro call one time, she's like, you're really good at your job or explaining this or something like at sales, but like in a good way, she's like, I want you to know, like in a good way. And I was like, thank you. That's a nice compliment. Did not become a client, but that's completely beside the point. But <laughs> but not making it sound like it's yeah, sales. Like it, right? Yeah. For me, it's like, I'm just going to have a conversation. And if you yeah. like the style yes. of how we're going to interact and have a conversation, then this yeah. is probably a good fit. And maybe it's not. And that's okay too. Like making yeah. that decision earlier on is helpful because they might be brutally honest and you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I like someone that's that blunt and just going to push me over and bulldoze me into things because like that's not helpful either. They might be two of a straight shooter at that point, right? Like you need yeah. someone that fits. Again, I think that's kind of a reoccurring theme. But going into question number seven, which is what have you done in the last 12 months to educate yourself better to serve clients? Love that question. How are you learning? And that doesn't have to be like, hey, I got this next accreditation. It's the eighth thing at the end of my name on my email signature that covers a half a paragraph on your phone when you read their emails. That does not necessarily mean that they are good or educating themselves. The example that I guess I would think of that jumps off to me is the SEPA, which is the Certified Exit Planning Advisor that I did in January last year. So I can only use that for this month and then I'd have to find a new one. But that whole idea of like exit planning and working through like transitioning a business, to me, that was really important for, again, those in vet med as more practices are getting put up for sale and going through that process. So any thoughts on your end, Ryan, on that one? Yeah. I mean, this is also going to depend on where that planner is at in their career, right? If this is someone, you know, we talked about it earlier where for me, it's, yeah, I'm getting into CFP exam type material. If it's somebody like Isaiah, yep, I'm going to go in. I might get some more specialized knowledge or information on a particular topic, like the veterinary side of things, like you mentioned. So that one's certainly very specific. It may not have the greatest answer, but that's okay potentially there because it may still fit your needs potentially. So. Yeah. And if they say, hey, I've listened to all these podcasts about veterinary medicine on these topics for the last 12 months, and I can know about it because I've listened to all these experts, like to me, that's still super valuable. Yeah. And that's fine. Or I've read these type of books around this topic or whatever. Like it doesn't have to be something that is some accredited program. And I do know- right. Those in vet med love their accreditations and scientific their, evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Right. You, again, going back to what you shoot straight with me, are you BSing me? Like, okay, yeah. that's a cool answer, but like, did you actually learn something or were you just listening to podcasts? So, yeah. for what it's worth, I think there's a lot of interesting answers there. But again, not going to be a question that they typically get and it'll allow you to get a glimpse kind of behind the scenes of what they're doing. And if they're like, I don't do anything, then it's like, okay, so are you just busy finding the next person or are you trying to learn and help? Right. On to question number eight here, which I think some of these questions could be very loaded questions and there's not necessarily any right or wrong answers, right? It's just how that person is answering it. So question number eight, what is your investment strategy? So hopefully through the podcast, we've heard some terms here as far as active or passive management. There's all kinds of different styles out there and strategies. For me, the way I would answer this question is, well, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to maintain our current wealth? We just not want to lose it. Do we want to grow it as fast as we can, as safe as we can? Do we get scared if the market goes down by 1%? What is, I flip it back on to them. Our strategy is dictated on what we are trying to solve for, essentially. So it might be a combination of different strategies and different portfolio income streams. 
It may not just be, yep, I'm completely active management 100% of the time, all the time. That may not be the greatest answer. Or, hey, I'm 100% passive 100% all the time. It not be the greatest answer either. Everybody's different, right? Everyone's trying to get to where they want to be, value how they spend their money. How would you answer that one? I would... Or how would other advisors answer yeah, well, it? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to think. Also, what I would kind of build on this is ask them, how are you personally invested? And would you ever tell me, because they should, or would they ever show you how they're personally invested? And I tell a lot of people personally how I'm invested and have gone through those conversations. And it's not always the same as what a client might do, but they should never recommend something that they wouldn't personally be invested in. So I think that like the eat your own cooking type of thing is important. Yeah. And I think from the investment strategy piece, just knowing that there is some sort of semblance of, again, going back to the service model and the process, like how do they come to the conclusions that they have? What's the evidence? How does it back up? And I think that's a part for us that like, I like getting into the weeds. Not everyone wants to, and that's part of why they maybe outsource it or are hiring someone to help them with that. But it's still important to at least ask the question. And if you have no freaking idea what they're talking about, that's okay. You don't need to know, but you should hopefully be able to detect if they're just full of shit and have no idea what they're talking about. And if they don't have a good rationale for why, if it's just, oh, well, it's a model portfolio that they have no idea what it is. Model portfolios aren't bad, but how does it come together and why? And so this is one thing that I personally really enjoy. And so I find it fun, but I don't get to talk about that much because a lot of people just, again, don't want to know. Like they're smart enough to know. They just don't have the desire. But for those that want to know and dig in deeper, like let's have a conversation. I wanted to give you the funny answer, which is just buy Bitcoin, right? And that's what most people (laughs) probably were waiting for me to say. But again, if I gave you that answer and you're interviewing me, that's a shitty answer. That's a terrible (laughs) answer. Do not accept that. Now, do you know that I would at some point bring that up? Absolutely. Again, like for us, managing risk is important and owning Bitcoin is managing risk as much as people may or may not like that. And so if you've listened to me talk at any point in time, you knew I was going to talk about Bitcoin at some point in this conversation because that's just me. But yeah, I think, again, what is the backing for the philosophy that they've built? And are they continuing to refine it? Are they continuing to learn? And are they challenging themselves? And if you ask questions and try to poke holes in it, are they willing to engage with you? And if you do know your stuff, ask them more questions. They should enjoy answering and they shouldn't get defensive. Yeah, I think one of the key terms there is the evidence base behind how we do things here. And it's interesting. If you have some research and not just, hey, I taught this a couple of weeks ago or some expert in quotes that you can't see thought this last year and this is what predictions are going to look like. That is an investment strategy, but maybe not one that's proven to be effective long term. So, yeah, as I say, real quick, going back to what you said earlier about like the different pieces. I will a lot of times use the analogy of like baking chocolate chip cookies and ingredients and all that stuff. We and most advisors have what they feel comfortable with and what mix may be appropriate in different scenarios. And then they can kind of create that as needed from that standpoint to pull things together. Yeah, very good analogy. Going to the last question I'm going to pose, which is what is the non-consensus view that you hold that your peers might not? I've asked this to, I think, every advisor that's been on the <laughs> show because I just want to hear what they have to say. Mine is very apparent. We just talked about it. So I think that's one, again, that's going to get someone thinking. It is not going to be a question that any other probably potential client has ever asked them, but you should totally find out what it is. And if they don't hold any non-consensus views, are they a robot? Like what value do they hold? If they have, you got to have something, got to give me something. And if they give you a cop-out answer, be like, come on, what's the real one? And that's where you could then pry into like, okay, so how do you invest your current money? Or what are you doing that's different than what you, I don't know. You can take it a lot of different ways, but hopefully they give you actually some legitimate answer that you might be like, well, that seems really weird. 
And if they give one that you think is like just absolutely insane or crazy, at least they're honest. So I think they get points for that. Yeah. So, I mean, this might be one of those two that you know, there, there may not be a right answer to yeah, this there's one. Not a right, there's not a right answer. It's you right. just want someone that's going to be honest and not try to like skirt yeah. it. Yeah. So I'd push them yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And you might find out some fun, interesting stuff that you may have in common as well. Could be interesting. Yeah. Maybe they really like the idea of owning art or I don't know, something like that as an investment strategy, which would be non-consensus, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Should we hit the last one here? Yeah. This is the one that I feel like a lot of people will ask and they have no idea what the word means. Yeah. So what is a fiduciary and are you one? Yeah. Definition here. Are, are you required to act in my best interest? And in our opinion, I mean, hopefully yours, you would probably want them to say yes, right? Seems like a good idea. You're my financial planner. I want you to act in my best interest. I don't want you to sell me maybe an insurance product that I might not need. I think we should be working together towards a common goal. Hopefully it's very obvious that we are fiduciaries here. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, there's kind of two different things. There's the best interest and then there's what's called suitability. And so those are the two big things where I've heard someone that could not legally claim that they are fiduciary throw out that term in a Starbucks, right? Like I'm sitting there and I can tell what this person, like what they're doing, who they are, how it's working. And you just listen to it. And again, they've rehearsed their pitch. They might be good at sales, right? Which is fine. Like they're still good. They will say what they need to do to close the deal. And again, a lot of people are just trusting and saying, yeah, sure, that's great. I know I'm supposed to ask that question. They said yes, and they move on. But that's the biggest challenge. And one of the key things, again, going back to that fee-only piece, if I had to give two criteria to screen for, it would be fee-only and CFP. Now, does that screen out some really good people? Yes, it can. But what that's going to do is also take out 95% of anyone that's ever going to take advantage and do bad things in that quick criteria. So again, that is not saying that that's the only thing you should do. But if I had to really boil it down and say you could only pick two things, it would be, okay, are you fee only? And are you a CFP? I think that really helps. But that is not saying that someone that's not fee only is a bad advisor. Don't agree with that statement at all. There's always going to be nuance, but that is something that you want to consider because then that helps make sure that you can answer the fiduciary question there as well. So yeah, yeah. I think those are all good questions, fun ones to ask. And I think it's hard when you've never worked with an advisor to know what to ask. So I think that's kind of the intent here is to give you some ammo as you go through. And if you have someone that you work with now and you want to revisit and ask the questions, you can still ask these questions at any point in time and see how someone answers, right? I mean, that's totally fine. They shouldn't get offended if that's the case. So yeah, we should be able to have the ammunition, the confidence to be able to ask the tough questions here. And the advisor planner should be able to answer those honestly and, and calmly and have a dialogue back and forth with each other. And I guarantee you that everything Isaiah says or everything Ryan says may not be the same thing that you agree with, right? It might be different. That's okay. As long as everyone is getting towards the same page, we're educating each other and we're headed toward the same goal. That's okay if we don't hold the same views. Yep. I think it's always about trying to find fit in someone that you can build trust with. You're not going to have like, oh, I really trust this person after talking to them for an hour, half an hour, two hours. Like it takes time to build a relationship. You can't rush that. And so I think you have to have someone that you can work towards building that relationship with. And at the end of the day, that to me is the most important thing. Like, can I have a relationship and build this with that person? So yeah, hopefully this can help you as you think through things and go from there. But best of luck, ask good questions, and then just 
don't let people give you a non-answer answer. Just ask them again or smile and smirk and just kind of like push them a little bit. And if it's on the phone, you can just kind of pause and be like, is that the best thing you got? Like <laughs> just twist it. Let's see how they handle a little bit of pressure. I think it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Have some fun. Yeah. With it. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.